0: I cannot believe you are here with me to spill some chai. We have our, ch- our chai. I'm cheating. It's coffee. Um, I won't spill it. <laughs> Not the literal one, at least. <laughs> but this, please don't spill it. Uh, well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. But this is actually your second time um, on the show. And if people don't know, you guys have seen Rena all over your TV screens, you've seen her writing, you've seen her work. But she and I go way back. We do. We go I so way that. back that um, we just got to spill the tea on it. But I my <laughs> my first question to you is your background. I want to talk to you about growing up as an Indian immigrant in West Virginia. I don't think a lot of people know this. So talk to me because I know your dad came here 10 years before your mom came, right? So talk to me about like your childhood and and growing up in west virginia yeah that's it's always only the, the one of color people. there
1: yeah. <laughs> that's always the one that people are flipping out over they're like first of all you don't have an accent and i'm like i'm bilingual you know like it happens right I, how am i going to keep my basically west virginia twang and apply that to hindi or gujarati or anything wait like do you have
0: thing? a twang can you do a twang
1: i don't i don't even know that i could bring it out i feel like when i'm back home it, like Slightly comes out, and I'll throw down a bunch of y'all. I oh, y'all. A y'all. Every
0: sentence has a. Do y'all want to go here? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that happens. That happens as soon as you go south. I mean, I went to UVA. Yes. Y'all has uh, slipped out of me a couple of times, too, but I've never yeah. heard say y'all.
1: <laughs> no, I really I feel like I've I made a conscious effort to try to, like, push back on this whole narrative that I come from the sticks or this tiny little place. But I do. And it was really, really fun to grow up in a place like that because um, it was normal. It was normal when I was growing up. I had a very uh, suburban experience. What, what I would expect that my kids are having right now in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I went to piano. I went to karate. Summer camps were filled with swimming and, and hanging out with friends on a trampoline. You know, just your normal American good stuff. And being born in the early 80s to these two immigrants, one from Africa, one from India. And that was, you know, it's it just... I think the one thing I would say is they always try to make me feel like I fit in. They, they really didn't ever emphasize our otherness. And I, you know, I know there are a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts on that. But when you're, you know, you're just trying to make it through each day, and you're chasing opportunity to do better for your family. That's just what I saw my parents do. They were always trying to make their family lives better, because it was such a privilege to be here in the United States. And that was like, my big takeaway of like, I'm here, I'm blessed to be here, because these, these two people are working really hard. And over the years, our house was like a bus stop. I mean, There were people from everywhere, from London and uh, Mumbai to Dubai to Berlin to wherever. People were coming out of everywhere. And we were about five hours from Washington, D.C., but we would end up here in Washington, D.C. all the time to pick up people at the International Airport. So, like, literally, I feel like... The, those were the doses of being an immigrant's daughter that I still got while growing up in a really rural American community that had its own share of kind of like layers of issues with that, too.
0: So, well, that is so funny because you kind of grew up between West Virginia and, and Dallas International. <laughs> But also people don't get how international and connected Desi's are, you know, we we have family, we have friends and they will be staying at our home when they're visiting. Absolutely. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about is how did you get in? Because I really, you know, the show is for everybody, but it really is centered on brown girl magic. That's right. And I really want to, where did your interest in, in politics start? And how did you get in to the, Repu- I mean, the Republican party was very different sure. when Rena started her career and she totally. is longer, you know, she's not a MAGA Republican.
1: Oh yeah. But, I'm, not even, um, I'm not even a Republican in this era yes. is what most people would say. They'd be like, are you really? And I mean, if I had a for every time I get called a rhino, I could take that right to the bank and like have a great fun there going to fund everybody's brown girl magic projects. Like, I mean, truly I get called her Vino every other day.
0: No, but but how did that happen? Because, um, I mean, that is a really, you know you and I are in a lot of white spaces. We are. Um, but how did that happen? And, and why did you because you you are, you know, you're a political strategist, you're a political leader, you're a political um, maven. And where did that interest come from? And what would your uh, advice be to young women? Because just because you're brown, you don't have to be a Democrat. But where did that come from? Why did you decide, yes, this this is the political side I'm on?
1: Well, first, I really appreciate what you said about growing up between Southern West Virginia and Dulles International Airport, because anybody who knows that drive from 64 to 81 to 66, I'm talking interstate baby, you really see Americana through there. And I just appreciated the way you put that because It's true. You grow up in these rural communities and there's just not that much to do, even though I described all these wonderful things I had the privilege of doing because my parents were able to ascend the socioeconomic ladder. My dad came over here with 80 bucks in his pocket um, and an education. He came straight from Mumbai to Duke University Medical Center, where he was a a, a trauma surgery, um, general surgery, actually first resident. And he came over. And the right right around the time he came over is when everything happened in Uganda. Idi Amin, the dictator, kicked our family out. And so the vast majority of my family is in the UK. It's a beautiful story that um, Ugandan Asians have. The BBC has an awesome documentary on it. And um,
0: there's no so Johnny. She talks about that a lot. Yeah. I mean, either, I mean, you're going to get shot in the head or you leave. I mean, that yeah, was- I
1: mean, horrific stories are what I grew up hearing from my mom saying that, um, you know, the family had so much wealth that we built up over three generations almost. Um, and and there was just because we were merchants, actually, from India. And we've been in Uganda. And and the funny thing about people like Reshma and Rishi Sunak and me is that, like, we're part of these, like, really small communities that have deep African roots. So even growing up in my Gujarati, there was Swahili woven in and Gujarati is a dialect of hindi for those who don't know um and it's just the funniest thing because when i started talking to other gujarati kids or kids of gujarati parents i should say uh they were like what is that word And i'm like what and and my brother would come back to me he's like they don't know certain words i'm saying and i'm like Holy cow! We went to our parents, and these were Swahili words. And my my dad would talk to his sisters in Swahili. Um, being African was a big part of us. And actually, at my wedding in 2014, I played like the first song for my family on the reception dance floor. I played Shakira "This Time for Africa," the, the World Cup song,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because being African was such a big part of us um and my Indian roots are important to me because ancestrally it's it's everything I feel in my bones right like this is who I am as a person but I really feel American too and that's the part that I try to tell people that as a political strategist like being American I'm just so proud of it. I feel so privileged for for being American because it is an opportunity. The way the world saw us when I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, the early 2000s, when you're having your most formative years in college and you're like, hey, this is who I am. I never like to hyphenate. And so that's where I get a lot of pushback from people um, who are left in me politically on the on the more liberal side of the spectrum. How could you not want to hyphenate? And I said, well, before I went to do my wedding shopping in Mumbai in 2014, I visited India a grand total of five times. And two of those trips were when I was like under six. So I just never felt this real connection. And it's because my dad's had the family is so huge and, and had all gone to the UK. So our roots weren't even there on my dad's side. My mom's side is a really small side and they're still there, but like very few. So I always try to tether my experience in what do I have in common with others? Right. But in, political strategy that that is a part of it but you're also trying to explain the side of you so that people can understand the richness of our country in terms of values and when I grew up in southern West Virginia it felt like it was a really decent time a really wholesome time where people were like oh you're not Christian um tell us more you know one out of ten somebody would say oh well you're not going to heaven Jesus hasn't saved you but that was one out of ten yeah. And there are a lot of layers to unpack in my upbringing and how I got interested in politics and government and seeing government as a tool that can make people's lives better while having a real sense that it should be limited in some ways because of what my family had gone through in mm-hmm. Uganda. I knew what government could do if it got too big, too oppressive. And that's kind of why I always gravitated to the Republican Party. And people just don't get to hear that because how can you share that in a sound bite on CNN? You know, it just it you don't get that chance really to share the nuance. And so much of what we do is nuanced. Um, growing up, I, I I had these great activities, but I also loved to read. I was a voracious reader. Every house I was lucky to live in with my parents, which were like three of them before I went to college, because my dad loved to change things like I don't know. At some point when he was doing well, he's like, let's make it rain and get a new car every like four years. My mom was like, holy heavens, like to even have one car for my mom was a big deal because of where she had come from. So my father was a general surgeon. My mother was a lawyer in India. She had even uh, attained something called a Sunna which very few women got to do, which was to practice before the bar and um, and, and practice and practice on courts um, so be barred and be in the courts. And my mom was really proud of that. Like the female energy, that feminine energy, if I could do anything was ingrained in me from my mother. But then I had this really, you know, dedicated father who believed in education and, um, the fact that you could get anywhere with education. Cause my dad was a polio survivor. Actually, his left leg was shorter than his right leg. And the fact that he could perform eight hour surgeries was just, um, Uh, Just a a superhuman feat and and this month makes five years since my dad passed and he was my North Star. Um, But he was a lot of why I loved government because every morning we listen to NPR Morning Edition. Mm-hmm. from the until I graduated high school and so this current kerfuffle with NPR and Elon Musk saying they're state media And like there are kids in rural communities that got to know what the outside world was not because their parents had the money to buy a plane ticket like mine did but also because every morning as I'm getting ready to go to my little West Virginia public school I was listening to NPR's morning edition with dad that was our many
0: experience. people have this story so especially immigrants oh my that's Yes. I love uh, that. I love that you brought that up. But yeah. yeah. Uh, And I also love, sorry that I interrupted you, but I had to say that because it's so important. And I'm so mad about this thing happening with freaking NPR and Elon Musk and Jen, that's a whole other episode, but it's so interesting what you said about Swahili uh, and having Swahili words in your Gujarati, the other Gujaratis maybe didn't because um, I'm married to an Iranian man and Iranian American, and um he 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 was so shocked at how much I understand Farsi, or how like randomly I will say these Farsi words, and they because they like I guess I mean Farsi was the official language of India for 500 years under the Mughal. World. Wild, you know, the Persian Empire reached all the way there, so so many of our words, and they and they're like shocked, especially my yeah. in laws how do you know that? Or how did you say that? And I'm like, hello, but it's, a, yeah. I totally connect. And one more quickly point I wanted to say, I love talking to I could talk to you all No,
1: please. I love talking to you. I,
0: I, <laughs> we love each our, other. Our <laughs> we get together anyway. Because I recently just decided it, like really recent, like last month to start saying that I'm American because I am. You
1: are. <laughs> I, didn't, and, I didn't realize that was something you hadn't really yeah, now that makes sense. Because when she I first saw you,
0: me recently she was like, "You are not Bangladeshi. You get stop calling yourself Bangladeshi." Because I have now lived out of the country for more than twenty five years. I'm married awesome. to an American. My kids are American. My kids are American. um And I think people get really confused. But for a really long yeah. time, I felt like a fraud saying I'm uh, Bangladeshi American because I came here for college. Oh my god. It's great. The whole thing was so weird. But now I'm like, I mean, even something so funny happened to me a couple of months ago. I was going back to Bangladesh and I was buying alcohol in Dubai duty-free. Uh, because you know, you gotta buy I, if you know,
1: you know, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't always get it uh back home. It's complicated to get it because we're in Muslim country, blah blah. So I was getting it from Dubai and they they were, you know, they asked to see my ticket that, and they saw I was going to Bangladesh, and they just assumed I was Bangladeshi because, I mean, I guess I am.
1: You look it too, um, but I look Like We look it. I get Yeah, I mean, the I'm a and
0: they were like, "You can't. Bangladeshi nationals are not allowed to take alcohol um, back." And I was like, "What?" And they were like, "Yeah." They were like, "Can you manage it if you would, if you take it?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't want to like get in trouble." And then when I got home, I told my parents, "I'm like, can you believe they said that?" And they, my parents were like, "You're American." You have an American passport. Mm -hmm. I forgot. (laughs) I forgot I had an American passport. Oh my God. That's such a good story. I'm like, I lost my Grey Goose bottle of vodka. I lost my boo. (laughs) Cause I forgot. And that really made me start thinking, I need to just start telling people I'm American because people think I am. Uh, I am. You are. <laughs> right? you are. I'm so you know, weird. But the know.
1: hyphenation, the hyphenation makes sense for you because you immigrated, right? But for people like me, where I'm born in the southern West Virginia coalfields, I'm literally born in a hospital there. Like my entire upbringing is there. How can I, you know, to me it felt inauthentic to say I was an Indian American, and people are like, how could you push back on your identity? but it's how we feel in that moment right when you're like okay i will not take the book <laughs> you're just like i am a bangladeshi right so i think it's like identity is so complicated and that's what bothers me about the republican party today cuz they they just hate talking about identity so much But there was a moment when I entered Republican politics over 20 years ago now. Um, So, yeah, like maybe about 2003, 2004, I was really dipping my toe into Republican circles. And I did that on accident. I started writing for my conservative publication in undergrad at West Virginia University. There was an ad out, and they said, you want to write for the alternative to the Campus Daily. Little me didn't realize the Campus Daily was liberal and the alternative would be conservative. And we were indirectly funded by heritage foundation a major think tank that's conservative so i started attending these little retreats in dc and conferences and my whole michelle malkin i was exposed to this you know these younger conservative uh figures i mean tucker carlson was in the fold but i never saw him but these ideas felt palatable at the time they didn't feel feel filled with hate. They didn't feel so um, fiery in that way that, you know, here we are pushing it back against some massive machine. It just felt like we're talking about our values. And for me, freedom, liberty, equality, talking about dignity, um, you know, being the daughter of a person that was disabled that never even so much as applied for the handicap, um, you know, sticker for your, for your car. Because He just didn't want to, but he would always extol the praises of the Americans with Disabilities Act and and how I probably wouldn't be where I am today if the ADA didn't exist and make it possible for my dad as his physical condition degraded over the course of his 70 years, um, 74 years, um, if there weren't ramps and handles. To make sure that he could be this full 100% citizen um, here in these United States. So I have a really kind of like patriotic goosebumps kind of story when it comes to that, because I realize that people feel some kind of way about the Republican Party. But for me, I thought it was the party for freedom and equality, and that I, you know, that believed just like I did that I didn't want the government in my backyard, my bank account, or my bedroom. and. How far it's come. So it's just an interesting thing to kind of weave that back to my my Daisy story and my Daisy upbringing in many ways.
0: You have to write a book, girl. Your book is gonna be <laughs> so great. You're
1: too kind. You know I'm only
0: I, like writing the proposal out for you. at Some <laughs> point. I actually wrote some points. I'll email you later. But you're the best great story. It could be like a great mini mini series as well. Uh, <laughs> Real housewives of <laughs> West Virginia. I love
1: interacting with you. I got to be honest because. For me, when I was joining the Republican Party in those early days, I'd already checked Republican when I was 18, but it wasn't a big deal. You're sitting in your high school cafeteria, you know, your secretary of state has made a visit and you're registering to vote for the first time. I'm like, Republican, sure, I love Dave Lincoln. He was my favorite president, (laughs) which by the way, unsurprising that i like came into politics because i used to carry around this book called what do you know about the american presidents like i love trivia i I love that presidency and so when i think about my life story like the fact that i have now been a spokeswoman for two u.s presidential campaigns advised on a total of four of them one independent one libertarian one republican like It feels like the honor of a lifetime to sit here and be able to say, I got to do these things. I got to have these opportunities because there was a bench built for me here in this country when my parents came and sacrificed and did everything they did so that I could do things I wanted to do in my life that were directly linked to my hobbies. So it's just a funny thing when I meet people who are, they see who are like offended that I'm a Republican. I'm like, how dare you? Because at some point it was a flex. And yeah. I think I love that about you because you've never made me feel bad about who I am in terms of my political views, yeah. even though we do, they do differ from yours.
0: Yeah. And you know what, when we used to be on, uh, we were, uh, so we were regular panelists and always together on, on, on PBS to the contrary. But I will say I was a suspect in the beginning, but it was pre Trump years. I'm like, what a Brown Republican. I don't know. I
1: saw your side-eye. I mean it was captured on film. You know it's there. Like,
0: but we also disagreed, um, you know, sometimes on air, but always yeah. off air and in the green room and everything, we we always connected, but it was pre-Trump year, so yeah, definitely. You know, it was a different one. It's, it's all it's all forgotten. I mean, <laughs> it's all just different now, right? It's different. I mean I'm, I mean do you were you ever on with that? time when that woman was she was the head of Muslims for Trump and she came wearing oh, yeah. her American flag as as her hijab At and hijab. Was like during the Trump like Muslim ban and she was like I love him he loves us I'm like he has literally instated policy You just can't get through to some
1: people. You know what I mean? Like, that was interesting because I remember I had known her through, like, local Republican leadership stuff. I had encouraged her to come to meetings, and I was like, hey, let's hang together. And when she showed up for Trump and was wearing the American flag as a hijab, that was the (laughs) moment that I was like, I don't know that we are going to be able to rock on the way we've been. (laughs) Like, I don't think
0: this is going to... Not to make fun of anybody, but it it, it really was a story. I've never... Seen or met anyone like her before or since? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, was, it was um it was a one-timer. Oh so, my gosh. But I want to ask you, what is what is your advice to, to young women now? Because as great as America yeah. is, our numbers in government are some of the lowest in the world. I mean, yeah. still haven't had a female president. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I think we have serious issues in America with women in really high positions of power, but what would you tell an upcoming uh, Politico with everything you know now, with your background, black, brown, or white, you know, like, what? what is your advice? Like, so, How do you the kind of work that you do? I've always been a history buff. So for me, it was kind of like a natural
1: thing that I was going to fall into this life, even though I studied engineering in college and was terrible in so many ways at school. Like I am, I was the literal black sheep in my family. It's like, can she get blacker? <clears throat> it's just so different from everyone. Like the, I and I I almost prided myself on that. Um, I was definitely a rebel. And but the part about me that was not a rebel is that yeah, I love to spell. I was in the spelling bee, I made some finals here and there. Look, was I able to ascend to the national heights? Absolutely not. But I loved history and I loved um, that part of of learning. Um, But the hard part for me is that I always wanted a buck institution and I would find the stories of women throughout history that really stuck out to me. So Banzara Bhutto is just somebody that I started admiring at a really young age, more so than Indira Gandhi. And that was always kind of I think it made my dad kind of chuckle. when he realized that I would talk about Benzar way more than I talked about Indira Gandhi. And I just think for me, um, there was a lot of modeling that was part of my journey. I would I would look at certain people in history and and then in, in present as well. So when I first got to Washington, January 2006, I could have never predicted I'd still be here like al- almost 20 years later. Um, but I, I remember my dad saying to me, like, call up Henry Kissinger's firm and just offer to get coffee because my mother was over there sobbing about the fact that I wasn't going to law school. I wasn't going to make more of myself, um, but that I wanted to work in politics and, and not get a job in engineering or any other such esteemed field. And yeah, look, it's great to walk the straight and narrow. I love the people that go for stability. I just was never able to do that. And, um, and so if you're somebody that, that is in the political government policy making space or has any interest in that in this era, uh, particularly as a young woman who is brown um, or black or whatever, however you may identify, especially I want to talk to the girls uh, who are coming from communities of color like it is you were going to look around, you're going to have a moment like I did on Capitol Hill in 2008, and you're going to walk by a pane of glass, and you're going to be in a in a pack of, my boss was a member of Congress on the U.S. House of Representatives side, and and I'm like barely one, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm a very small person, and my mother would always tell me, you must wear a lighter foundation, a high heel, and a lipstick, and a necklace and earrings every day. That was like my mother's mantra, and that day I was wearing flats, I'd forgotten my lipstick, much to my chagrin, and was definitely not wearing foundation um I was lucky I had a couple of earrings in when I looked at this pane of glass I'm in a pack of five older white men and it stuck out to me something's not like the other here and that was the day that I like really realized like I am so different up in here how do I move forward when I look like this because you know you would it, it was a passing move. We were headed to the Capitol. I was taking my Boston votes and um, it was a really, really big meeting. I was getting a chance to sit in on and all I could think to myself is, I'm so dark, I'm so short and I'm not beautiful. And I had made it onto Capitol Hill, working super hard, like knowing my stuff, saying that I'm, I know policymaking, I'm going to be a deputy chief of staff. I'm going to be a chief of staff one day. I i had all these dreams for myself, but all I could see were these horrible things ingrained in my mind from unfortunately aunties that were like, you're too dark. You're not tall. You so know, they, you auntie culture,
0: the they see auntie culture right? next. You know what? Yes. God. Yes. Yeah. Most toxic people. Some of it's great and amazing, but. Sitting in the US Capitol.
1: Amazing. Instead of focusing on the fact that I am in the bastion Mm. of power in the free world, the highest sort of place you can be, aside from White House, you know, but like these three branches, you're blessed to be able to work in them. And here I was concentrating on this thing. And I had imposter syndrome. And um, I suffered from that for a while, but I would always kind of like push it into the back of my mind where it couldn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it's come up and I'm a mother of three girls. And I think about this. How would I feel if they're going into this unconventional path, this path that I don't know? And I know I know that they're gonna be judged and there's gonna they're not gonna find people like them to latch on to and build community with. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this part of when you ask me what kind of advice do i have to impart on on these women that want to make it in this kind of sphere in these spheres um and i just say number 1 find some some role models and they don't have to be people you know but role, model their story find some way to take some element of their story and model it in your life because that's what benza Buto was for me as weird as that sounds i'm like talking about like this woman that is unfortunately no longer with us but um there was always an element of somebody's story, and and men too. I would take men's stories, the stories of men, um, as well. And I would just I would f- use those as fuel. And I would I would think about my journey in that way. Where do I want to be? How do I want to create impact? And and then that's so to me that's just number one. And secondly, broaden your horizons. Go outside the box. For me, I realized at some point when I broke out, I left Capitol Hill. Having worked for two members of the U.S. Congress was my calling card to being able to get more business as a political consultant in my early years Um, but I I always thought I had to have a skill so I I could write well and I kept working on it and working on it and I would take on these incredible opportunities whenever I could I I joined the op-ed project and went to one of their seminars called right to change the world and I'm an ambassador for them now and I because I really believe in these sort of what aunties would call extracurricular side dishes but those side dishes enhanced who I was as a person Um, and that is the best advice i could give is that if you want to be better at whatever you're doing go find other things that enhance the things you're already good at so i knew i wanted to be a better writer now look was speech writing the only thing i did in my business in those early years no i also became a general consultant so i started going to campaign trainings i started doing everything because i wanted to make a dollar and so you know i think that's that's all i can say is that Find a way to keep going, but you've got you to gotta make yourself better. You've got to tweak yourself every day in this field because it is not a field in which you walk the straight and narrow. There's no guidebook. There's no roadmap. And you got to have a goal and you've got to want to get there. For me, it was Capitol Hill at some point. And then it was to be a campaign consultant and be a good one at that. And I'll say this. My parents never really fully understood why I picked this path in life. But they'd always say, and I remind my mom to this day, I'm like, you always told me that if whatever I wanted to do, be the damn best at it. And that's what I've tried to do.
0: I love that so much. I love that so much. And I also love that you've talked about your dad so much because I remember, I can't believe it's been five years. five years, half a I decade did. is wild. I know how close you were to him. I remember when he wasn't well. And then I, it was just such a shock. It was a shot, right? Like, <laughs> me, I, gave, I gave birth three weeks
1: after my dad passed for my second <laughs> daughter. It's just wild to think about birth and life and death. And you know, we're the, we're the sandwich generation. We're building yeah. our own lives and while caring for parents. parents. Crazy. Yes.
0: yes. Uh, well, this is my last uh, question too. And it's perfect because we were talking about our daughters and that imposter syndrome, Thing by the way, I want to say for so long I thought I was the only one that had that, um, or yeah, there absolutely. was a word for it, right? I would always be like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna get found out as like this dumb fraud that doesn't really know anything." Uh, So first of all, everybody has it. Uh, Michelle Obama had a great quote when she said that when you find yourself in a room full of like all these accomplished people, all these smart people, and you realize they're not that smart. <laughs> and you deserve to be in that room the other thing that is so important that you said is it's the hustle never stop hustling never stop learning learn 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 I still learn I still study that's me too and always your homework so the the assignments and those things change it's not going to be like algebra homework in eighth grade but do your homework and always learn you never want to be one of those people who think they know everything that's like trump oh my gosh you know you know, That's they the color, thing. and they're wrong. right? Like our moms teach us, you know,
1: oh, this is the way to make a cup of chai. For example, mm-hmm. a few years ago when the Instapot came out, I remember I would see these gals who were Daisy who post these incredible how to make chai in the Instapot. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'm damn good at doing it on the stove. But I did it in the Instapot one day. I swear to God, I blew my husband's mind. He was <laughs> like, what is this chai
0: you made? And I'm like, and like oh my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick cup chai video with you. I'm going to have you back and, and I'm going to do that. Do I'm gonna, uh, yes, you're going to do this Instapot chai for us because what a great idea and I need to know. So we are both moms of girls. Last question. Thank you so much for your time. I could literally talk to you forever. Imagine if we had a show, we'd just be like, T-t-t. we'd be like Gail and Oprah. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Please get your mansion in Hawaii soon, Rena. Um <laughs> I'm ready. Are you? I right, we we'll <laughs> we'll
1: manifest it, right? I don't know. There's a whole movement about
0: we will manifest it. So raising strong girls um it, I mean it's already it's already happening, you know? And I feel like something I really loved about your story is that you dealt with online bullying. Um really I think kind of before there was a, a a word for it, maybe even, you know, whatever happened to you on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And bullying is already happening. I'm, I have a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. I've already like dealt with like multiple issues. And I was telling my older daughter, daughter recently that, you know, you you never stop dealing with bullies. Like even I deal with things. You never. know, it, beyond sixth grade, it, it's going to be on, it's going to be in high school. Sometimes teachers are bullies. And I was telling her, this and then it made me realize. Um, I mean, what, what is 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 your advice? I mean, what would you say? Because I feel like you really went through something at a time where not many people were as openly talking about it as they are, and you survived and kind of thrived and went <laughs> away. So, what is your advice? What just some parting motherly advice?
1: Oh my gosh. Motherly. I somehow, I still have an issue. and My oldest is now seven. I I have a hard time seeing myself as a mother. And I think it's because I never really set out to be one. Um, (laughs) I never is that wild? Like who says that? But I just said it. I never wanted to, to be a
0: mother either. <laughs> I, I,
1: think, I think I knew my husband was the one when I like looked at him and he was like, I really want kids. And I was like, I do too. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> He's this
0: you like- know, that is true. That is true. That's how you know it's one, because yeah. I never wanted to have kids. I didn't even really like on me, but I really wanted to have my husband's kids. Yeah. And, and
1: as, as, people listening have picked up like I had this really incredible relationship with my father but like my mother was always to me like posh. she's just there but I didn't realize how magical she has been all throughout my life um and now is she's just an incredible grandma always putting me and my children above herself and I think her selfness selflessness I couldn't see it um for years she gave up a whole law career to raise me and my siblings and to gr- grow us in this joint family she had to give it up my dad's parents lost, had lost everything in uganda he was the only son we, had, we were a patriarchal society being north indian so my grandparents we lived they lived with us we lived with them is what it was called like they came to america by way of uk after uganda and my mother had to live with them in a country where other women immigrating with their spouses were just alone living in Queens. And here she was like every Tom, Dick or Harry was coming on through. She wasn't working. This is a woman that loved intellectual pursuit. And I I just share this to say, like our mothers were angels and I never appreciated mine until now. Um, And I never realized like how important it was that she was always just there during my hardest moments, even though she couldn't fully understand because she was an immigrant here. She, sometimes I spoke too fast for her as I often do. (laughs) Um, The slang was a lot for her. Um, sometimes I mean, her English was perfectly fine, I guess, you know, but she had an accent. and and, you know, I'll be damned. There were definitely people that treated her different differently in Southern West Virginia or wherever we were blessed to travel And later in life. Um, but she always just kind of rose above the fray. And when I went through what I would call cyberbullying in two thousand and eleven um, and, and just subsequent issues with, with men and, and women, you know, like I would be in these romantic relationships and I never hid from my parents because, my parents were very progressive, open people. And, and I, I'd love to think it's because they were highly educated. Both of them held terminal degrees. But I also know that good people are everywhere. And as somebody who doesn't hold a terminal degree, you don't need that to be a good person. You just need um, somebody who has a compass, somebody who has morals and values and sticks to those. And so as the mother now, I'm leading into those virtues, sort of saying like, you know, money doesn't define me. Class doesn't define me. Uh, even my educational status doesn't define me. It's who I am on the inside. And what I'm choosing to radiate out there. And, you know, as somebody who's a political reformer more than anything nowadays, advocating for systems reforms that once felt palatable on the Republican side and, and now are no longer, but there's a whole swath of us, millennials and Gen Z that are like, we want to make our government better. You're going to find people who hate you for simply just exercising your, your First Amendment right. And I went through that in 2016. So cyberbullying from a group of friends in 2011, going through what I went through as the first ever elected delegate to the RNC see to criticize Donald Trump I blew up my career in 2016 and I pivoted from that and and look but that's a really big defining feature of who I am because I've lived to tell the tale that you can be on the floor you can be crying and your mother try to be feeding you soggy cereal that you won't eat and that was me in 2016. And I know that not everybody's blessed to have a parental figure in their life like that or somebody else in their life like that who's going to pick them up when they're down. But I will say this, this is what I wanted to get to is find somebody, even if it's not a parent for you. For me, I always wanted to push my mother away when she tried to do that. But let somebody envelope you in their love. So I, I didn't feel like my mom was the one who could be there for me, but she was. She just kept showing up and was like, I refuse to give up on my child. I refuse to keep watching you lose weight as like, Paul Manafort and Donald Trump and company are coming after you. You know, she just, she didn't quite get it. And, you know, she'd have relatives who'd be like, Rena should just give in. Trump world's too powerful. Trump is too powerful. Why is she speaking out against him? I don't- aunts who said i was disgracing the family and then i had friends who just were not friends you find out who your real friends are when you go through stuff like this but i would say to the women and young and men too and especially daisies, um you know brown and black get, girls need to know you need to find me to envelope you in their love and for me it was my friends like um You know, I I feel like I could just name them. My friend Mansi Shah, a friend I've had since I was 16, was on the other coast and would constantly show up for me um, by way of text or phone. Um, Even you, you've shown up for me in this postpartum chapter I just had this past year. You know, there are women in my life that I have let envelope me in their love. And that is what has picked me up during the moments where I feel like I have suffered um, some emotional Um, emotionally hard stuff, whether, again, cyberbullying, blowing up your professional career, or it seems like, right, Um, or postpartum anxiety or depression. Whatever you're going through, do not go through it alone. Find somebody to let you envelope you in their love. That's all I can say about that, even if you're not an extrovert like me, because you need these people to carry you. And and, and there have been people beyond you and beyond Monsi that I'm not naming right now, but those people know who they are, and they just know that, you know, I will pay it forward to someone
0: else, and that's what it's about. Yeah, accept the help. You don't even always have to ask for; just accept the help. Um, I think this has been one of my favorite um, episodes of Spilling Chai ever. I'm gonna go and cry now. Um, oh my god! Stop. Thank I love you so, so much. much. <laughs> We're so dear. You just like tell it. This I is love a lot <laughs>
1: each other. Because, you know, we weren't destined to be
0: friends. We were never destined to be friends. We were just two (laughs) That showed up. That just showed up, right? To the contrary. (laughs) (laughs) To the contrary, we became friends. Um, Thank you so much for your time, Marina. I love you. And I will be speaking to you soon with more details. Thank you for all you do. This interview airs. Thank you for all you do. I will talk to you soon. So much love. Bye.